in my latest YouTube hole, oh, yes. have watched the Lindy Hop. Well, no, I watched the Lindy Hop, which is great. Get into it, Lindy Hop World Championship in Washington D.C. Look at up on YouTube. It's you a whole thing. The, so you sent me a. You're like three in the morning. <laughs> at like three in the morning, where you're like, "Hello, I have insomnia. <laughs> Please watch this video." And um, and I did, and it turns out that like I did not know what Lindy Hop is. Yeah, slash maybe don't know. Hey, this is Amrita and Andrew. We're writers on a podcast journey to find our way through freelance life. If you're thinking about taking the leap off the beaten path in any part of your life, our inexpert advice is don't think twice. And we're live. Hi. Hi. Live from New Orleans again. Here we are in a new home. <laughs> Yet another new home. In the seventh ward. Treme area for those who are familiar with the the city. What are your impressions of the neighborhood so far? So this is our third neighborhood, mm -hmm. and I like its proximity to downtown. Yeah. Um, it is a uh, we're walkable to the French Quarter. I haven't yes. done. I haven't actually tried to get quite that far yet. So I walked all the way to the river, not oh, very far. Okay. I mean, twenty five minute walk yeah, yeah, from yeah. here all the way to the Mississippi River. So. Pretty convenient. Um, not a lot of conveniences inside this neighborhood, though, which is pretty surprising. Like a grocery store. There's a, a market. There is a bodega on the uh, sort of a, a bodega that I that have you gone into it? Yet? No, it looks really it has scary. Has nothing in it. Oh, it looks scary. It has booze. Soda. Yeah, it looks like, it looks like that type of place where right. it's like just like has like airport sized liquor and yeah, that's it. And, and like, like a cigarettes, can of beans. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they did have sponges, which is what I needed. Okay. But, um, but bodegas in New Orleans, this is the second one that I've tried, um, don't carry ever, it seems, um, fruit of any kind, which shouldn't surprise me. But um, Well, uh, I think we've extolled the virtues of New York bodegas before, but right. like, and it'll never be enough, but it's like, it's like the room of requirement. It's like literally anything that you need in that moment. It's not that kind of, it's kind no. of a... It's kind of a gas station without the gas station. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a. I, I think a lot of cities have this thing where it's just like when you're in a neighborhood, you're in a neighborhood, and there's you're not gonna like find a thing to to buy. <laughs> yeah, but we're in the middle of the city. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's weird though. It's unsettling. Uh, and so where we are, which is um, kind of the dividing line between Treme, which is the most the classical black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood, how do I say it? Historically uh, black. Historically black neighborhood of which many, many prominent musicians and, and mm -hmm. artists of all type really have mm -hmm. come from. And of course, there's a lot of conversation these days about gentrification in the neighborhood and, and that sort of thing. And we're just right across the dividing line of the Seventh Ward, which is another sort of working class, traditionally black neighborhood. Yeah. And our house is beautiful. The ceilings are so high i feel like um i feel like i live in a mansion we oh, oh my gosh i completely completely feel like i live in a mansion it's probably 16 foot ceilings you can probably hear them on the recording right. and uh and even though the footprint of the house isn't that much bigger than the last place it right. feels absolutely palatial and also every, like everything being on the first floor as it turns out i'm a single floor kind of gal yeah me too um, <laughs> Yeah, so so the neighborhood is near a bunch of other neighborhoods, and um, do you know 
I, okay, so so New Orleans people have this like dogged inability to consider north, south, east, west to a point where I feel like they're like people are shitting me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, city west of us, what is what neighborhood is that? Uh, the neighborhood directly west of us is Treme. Oh, on the other side of that, uh, Central City. Um, I don't know. Okay, I drove through whatever that neighborhood was because mm-hmm. I drove to the wrong house yesterday after mm-hmm. my workout and. Um, that neighborhood is the first place. The first place that I've um, been in in the city where I've been like, "Oh, this is a little scary." Really? Yeah, I had to slow down my car. I mean, you have to slow down your car a lot for potholes and for like things in the road here. And um, and I actually saw somebody like it looked like maybe selling another person a gun mm. out of a pickup truck, and they were in the road. They were like in the middle of a side road. And okay. he had he pulled the gun out of his car in like a kerchief, and was like showing it to the other guy. But I had to slow down a lot to get around them because they were in the road, and I was like, "I'm not looking. I don't yeah, see yeah, yeah, you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that you don't read as any sort of like undercover plainclothes uh, okay, cop as long in as your I don't, Subaru. Good, yeah. As long as I don't give you narc, that's that's no. that's good. And, and you like gold earrings and your <laughs> Subaru. And <laughs> Subaru, yeah. It reminds me of when our friend Rebecca and I were jogging in the park. And we went on these like side trails in Prospect Park where there were these like there were these guys who were getting their fix early. They're the getting their fix, and and so um, Rebecca wanted to ensure them that we weren't narcs. So she was like, whenever we would want, run past them, she'd be like, "Hi!" <laughs> <laughs> like wave at them. And, she, and I was like, "Why do you think that's good?" She's like, we, "Do you think like a cop would do that? Probably not." <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a tactic. It's bold. Mm-hmm. But so we're in uh, this new place and we'll be here for a few months. But that brings me to uh, um, the subject of housing for which we uh, recently qualified for the housing lottery in New York City, Mm -hmm. which is not um, affordable per se, as you might think of an affordable (laughs) housing situation. Um, It's basically housing that... Uh, the developers get a tax break to then sort of mark down the rate of the apartment according to some scale that the city uses about a percentage of the local median income. Median income. Yeah. So then, so a certain percentage of the units in the building and this building that we qualified for, it's it's, it's building by building. It's a 26 unit building. They have to set aside four units. Only four right. for people of moderate means, yes. which means that you make one hundred and thirty percent of the average or the the median income, the area median income, or right. something like that. Right. Um, so, so you're making more than the median. You're making income. more than the median income. So so when we say it is a, a housing lottery, it is not like it's not like a Section Eight situation, and it's not an affordable housing. It's it's quote unquote affordable for like the moderate, the moderate, um, yeah, earner. Yeah, so this is a, a, a new thing for us, and we were required to submit every piece of financial data. Like ever, ever. Like every anything, any piece of identifying information about my, my money yeah. of my life. <laughs> I think we ended up with 41 documents. Yeah. Separate files. Yeah. And, you know. Um, I felt so, like, wary about trying to, like, prove that we were, that it was, like, okay for us to get Well, that was the it. thing. You know? I felt like 
we were applying for something that we don't qualify for. Yeah, it felt like if I was like, oh, like, no, but no, but like we deserve this. Like, but the thing is, we actually do qualify. Well, we qualify. I mean, deserve is a whole different no, category I know, no, no. of things. I know, but like. Um, we qualify just like anyone else who's applying would qualify. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who gets it, who deserves it is a different conversation. Well, everybody deserves housing. Right. But, but anyway, so um, a few things about that is that, so we'd be roommates again in the city, but it is like, it does like lock us into an apartment that we can actually afford. And right. um, and then you just get to keep it. You get you, to keep a rent stabilized apartment. You get to keep a rent stabilized apartment, uh, which is fantastic. Now, it's a two bedroom apartment, which is tiny. <laughs> Yeah. It's a total of 550 square feet for two bedrooms. Is it really? Did you look it up? Yeah. Oh my God. That's or 565, so something like that. That's really it's really small. It's tiny. That's really small. I mean, the small. living room is eight feet wide. <laughs> so if, so if like, my brother laid down and put his, <laughs> if I laid down and put my hands up, I could touch could, wall to wall. Yeah, so, you, you know, this isn't a, a palace. But, no. But, but it is, if we get it, it will be our palace. It will I, be our palace. I hope we do. Our rent stabilized palace in in a great location. In a great location, yeah. yeah so yeah. right, right by Brooklyn Museum. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so we'll see. We'll see how the gears of the New York City Housing Authority work. Yeah, we just submitted our application. Who knows how long it takes them to review? Forty-one documents or whatever. Yeah. So, so time will so, tell. Uh, how do you feel about appending being back in New York? Uh, I can't wait. Okay. I mean, okay. things are opening up. I imagine this summer is going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, the summer is going to be fun everywhere for people for just because everything is opened up. And it's so here in New Orleans. Um, I one day I was wearing my mask into places f- far after I was vaccinated, and then it was like. A week or two ago, it's like everyone, everyone. just woke up mm-hmm. and it's like every grocery store you can go into, every bar and restaurant, if you're vaccinated, of mm-hmm. course, like just back to normal. I know. It's weird. It's weird. Like. it it It's fantastic. Yeah. I don't take my mask places. So I go, you know, I'll go on my walk every day and I might have to stop by the store to get a snack or a. Mm-hmm some groceries or whatever and I won't take my mask and I'll think halfway there oh maybe I should have grabbed my mask in case I get there and you know um but I'm always able to go in and yeah it's been pretty free yeah so so I'm 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 do you feel good about being back in New York ready to get back to New York see I wondered I wondered if you had yeah I wonder if you had like deeper feelings about that or like felt Nervous about it or worried about it or not in a COVID sense, just like, oh. in a, like, like getting back to getting back to our lives there. Like you just feel uh, just unadulterated goodness about it. No, I mean, summertime is what it is. So I always want to like enjoy um, places beyond New York in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love New York in the summertime, too. And we are in New Orleans right now, which is really hot. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it'll only get hotter, but it's like, it's only 90 degrees, but it's full wet 90. Oh, yeah. Real, oh, yeah. It's a wet 90. It's a wet 90. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, 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 that's just to say, like, it's summertime and I'd like to go to the beach, of course, and mm-hmm. like spend it on Fire Island or yeah. wherever. But 
uh, yeah, I'm ready to get back to the city. I'm ready to get back to the to the subways. And you know, there's I know that there's been an a lar- an uptick in crime on the subways, an uptick mm-hmm. in crime generally mm-hmm. in metropolitan areas across the country. But um, I'm ready to get back to it all. Yeah, me too. I'm ready to get back. I'm I'm I can't even actually believe that. We have so we have our house here until September. Yes. At which point we'll have been away from the city for a year. Yep. I just was thinking that this morning, and I was like, I can't. I actually can't believe that. Yeah. Hopefully, no more. But Hopefully you know, not. unless unless you know, unless we sell a show and we have to go yeah, yeah. oversee its uh, production. Yeah. That feels yeah. that feels right. So okay, so but this is a question that we we're talking about the other day is that is like truly haunted me <laughs> which is you were like if you could if you couldn't go back to new york if you were like yeah this one really stumped you yeah it stumped me and i was like you were like if which? you couldn't go back to new york yeah. what city what american, what american city? city would you choose yeah and i've just been like really arrested by that question since and i was like oh well i like it here like clearly it's the place we've liked the most that we've been like since we've been traveling around mm-hmm. like, i like it here uh, maybe i'd go back to portland where i'm from and like um i haven't lived there since i was a kid like and right. of course it's changed so much there and like you know there's good culture here but then uh, then yesterday i was driving to this boxing gym that's like in a strip mall on the West Bank, and I was like, "Oh fuck this!" Yeah, I was like, "Oh, I could not live here. You have to get on this fucking highway to go right. get on the bridge to just cross over to another neighborhood, just to go to a like a strip mall in a neighborhood to do this thing. And it's only ten minutes away, but it feels like it's an eternity, and you have right. to merge like a million times." I was like, "I hate this. I hate this. I could never live here." <laughs> <laughs> but then you know when we went to go see uh, jazz at that club yeah this weekend and i was like oh yeah this would be this would be fine i could i could make a life here what what's what was your well, answer so i was and i so i posed the question without an answer myself oh. but uh i think i narrowed it down to minneapolis because it's uh which i've never been to it's a it's a metropolitan it's a city. I mean, it doesn't have the hustle and bustle of a of a New York by far, but it does have I mean, what a does? lot of um, a lot of culture, like a, a a large appreciation for culture in the city. Um, it's a really nice city. It's a really cold city. It's so, really cold. Can you walk there? You can yeah, when the weather is nice. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course they have miles and miles worth of tunnels in the in the winter time, mm, which mm-hmm. are elevated, elevated. Mm-hmm. on the second floor of buildings that uh, like breezeway that connect kind of miles things. and miles of buildings. Yeah. yeah public breezeways yeah um and they have a a, a couple of metro lines a couple of mm-hmm. uh, what are they called above ground elevated not they're not elevated just ground level like a trolley trains, type of thing trains, oh just yeah. trains. they're trains <laughs> yeah that uh that that you could easily live close enough to to not have to use a car, mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. which is like one of my primary yeah, yeah, considerations. Yeah. So car, car free or car as car free as you could possibly be. As car free as you could possibly be. So Minneapolis and then... And as dense as you could possibly be. Yeah. Yeah, Minneapolis, I, 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 I've never had a great experience with the city of Chicago, but that's not Chicago's fault. <laughs> I mean, in the wintertime, it's Chicago's fault. Well, it's the, it's the lake's fault. But 
Uh, Actually, like, remember when we went to Chicago and then the very first thing that happened was that man was, like, clinging to the dashboard of a car oh, in, yeah. in, like, a high-speed altercation on Lakeshore Drive? <laughs> <laughs> and then someone got stabbed when, like, we left a bar to, like, go get a snack and then come back to the bar. And then the time that we left to go get the snack, someone had been stabbed oh, in yeah. the bar. See, see, not Chicago's fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. Those situational issues. <laughs> But anyway. at least it's a big enough city, and I think maybe I could find a neighborhood that suited I think me. So. I've, I, the thing is, I I want to like Chicago. I want to like it. So I feel that the experience is just waiting for me, mm-hmm. that I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there's, like, it's diverse, and there's, like, interesting, like, food and right. stuff. Right. In theory. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if I wanted, if I if I opened up the the criteria and dropped the car or accepted the fact I would need a car Mm -hmm. then cities like Detroit can make it on the list yeah well I yeah we loved Detroit yeah so um I just wanted to as an aside I -hmm. matched with a person on tinder who had in their bio that he was like I've been to like you know hundreds of cities all over the world Chicago is my number one this is a person here in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And so then I matched with him and then I messaged, so explain to me what's good about Chicago. And then he, Crickets. And then he like unmatched me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, can't take a joke. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard many times that um, it's kind of a jinx to talk about things that you're like in the middle of doing. Well, you've heard that or you feel that? I've heard that and I'm wondering if I feel that. Um, It's bad to talk about where you are and what you're doing. Where does that come from? You know, we have this housing application and I haven't really told that many people because... I'm like, oh, I don't want to jinx it. As right. if, like, my talking about it will have any bearing on what, like, the person at the realty office is, like, doing with their application. Or... Right. So what is it about that? Like, why do we do that? Some people say, oh, it's, like, it's an energy thing, which these are sort of, like, woo-woo people. I feel that about, like, when we're working on something that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to, like, say too much about it because then it, like, you know, I don't want to like jinx it before we've written the thing that I feel really excited right, about right. writing or, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it comes from just like purely a superstition point of view or, or something about like, if you tell somebody about something, then you're responsible for like filling them in about whether, whether it happens or it doesn't happen. People ask after People things. ask after things. What is that such a bad thing? Like to have somebody ask you, like to have a reason to like follow up with you about no, something. no. no. Like, I think that the, the extension of that is to not, like, stick out my hand and be like, hi, I'm a writer. Yeah. Because, like, on some level, what makes me, like, embarrassed about, like, wanting to introduce myself as being a writer is that, like, I don't want to, like, I wouldn't want to, like, jinx it. I haven't really, I haven't, we haven't sold a show yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... You know? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to be. <laughs> so I think that's, like, the the bad logical extension of, of, like, not wanting to talk about something that you're doing. 
Is that what you were thinking about? Like, what, what, made yeah. you, what brought this to mind Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just like, just, you know, talking about anything, talking about like a housing application, talking about a show, talking about anything that, yeah, like, are trying to make happen or want to make happen or whatever. And like, the idea that talking about those things sort of like robs you of your energy to like work towards them. Mm. There's, there's some sort of psychology behind it. It might have been a hidden brain episode, actually. Some sort of like, um, the idea of saying something out loud and on some level of your brain it's like you're experiencing what it would be to already have it so then the the motivation or the desire becomes less I couldn't disagree with that more though because aren't we aren't we also at the same time being taught that like we have to like envision our goals and manifest our like the okay. things that we want yes. and yes. so then part of that involves imagining how it would feel to already have that thing and that's what gives you the confidence to know that you deserve it don't you think like i mean uh, i mean i don't know i don't know <laughs> does this mean you have like exciting news that you're you're keeping under your hat no no i wish <laughs> no exciting news i was hoping i would get a little exclusive no no breaking no moment. no exciting news okay. no exciting news but i was just you know in general wondering you know because there's there are a lot of uh creative people particularly mm-hmm. who uh get a lot of mileage out of being mysterious uh-huh. in how they like um, are very oh, strategic about this. what Absolutely. they draw what they're what they say they're working on what what is you know what's being what's happening you know, it's very uh, evasive and mm-hmm. non-specific but also uh, uh, tactical and uh, purposeful in like sharing these things and I feel like you and I are not good at that at all no no but I actually I actually idealize that um, both as like a creative person just in general like I really wish that I was more mysterious yeah but I but like I'm I always just err on the side of I think just being like too goofy to be mysterious yeah and yeah so uh, like there are there are so many people professionally that I've witnessed get very far on their mysterious, um, sort of captivating mm. aura of like being an enigma Coy for people. And yeah, and and they will be a lot of times like kind of the content's not there. Yes, but if you create the mystique around it. You have to write your own legend. So I wonder if we need to. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, what what if we were to embrace that quality? Oh, what do you think that would look like, though? I don't know. I don't know if we could really maintain it. Uh, I think it's all like so silly. It's like the, whole, uh, the what I'm describing is like such a silly thing to have to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but. There are times when I feel like I've gotten so much further by putting so less effort into things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Like just, just, you know, responding to people and like in very vague ways and then like being offered jobs or, or 
being okay. or you know on profession a uh, per- personal level like okay this is this is true this is true and i've i've seen it happen for you like i don't understand it though because like i feel like if i gave a monosyllabic like response people would be like okay well i guess this bitch doesn't want to talk to me <laughs> but it's like there's something there's something well there might be gender maybe there's some going ge- yeah there yeah that's possible um, well, that's and, and in professional settings, I think that's definitely like you you have a little bit more of a leeway to be curt with people, yeah, because um, it comes off as being authoritative because you're like tall and right. male and stuff. Um, and we talked about that, but uh, but definitely like in a professional setting, sometimes haven't you found that um, when you when you're like applying for jobs, and we'll, I want to talk about this actually, but mm-hmm. in our lifetimes, we've applied each of us probably hundreds hundreds and hundreds of jobs right like easily uh, easily um and what i i hit this point and it was it was embarrassingly far into this like into my life into Mm -hmm. my professional life where it was like oh it turns out that people respond to like the three sentence cover letter with way way more frequency than the three paragraph cover letter where you try right. to tell you try to like cover everything that you've done yes you just you're just like hello i know how to do this you'd be lucky to have me uh i look forward to your response thanks yeah. and like those cover letters it's like you can't you, you're fighting them off right it's really really that is so true when i uh left my full-time job and just wanted to find a part-time job i took my resume and i i looked at the part-time jobs i wanted to apply to and i i like scrubbed it and made it it appeared as if i had done hardly scrubbed away my resume oh your resume sorry and just dropped off like nearly every job mm-hmm. just and it was like so it just had like two things on there yes and like three bullet points in 12 point font mm-hmm. um because it's like well i'm gonna i'm gonna because i had used the other resume and then the gotten feedback it's like oh like you're so you're overqualified for this oh god okay and i'd be like oh well yeah i can be yeah i can, I can be, be i can be whatever you want baby <laughs> <laughs> i can be less is that what you yeah <laughs> So, so that's what I did. I crafted this, and I got just um, interviews Interview. after interviews. Okay. Back this up for a minute. Yeah. So, we are uh, exiting a pandemic into uh, into a market. So says the news. So says the people in charge that there is a labor shortage, where people will be able. People are leaving jobs and planning on leaving jobs because they have so many offers and. You know, of course, mom and pop places and people in the service industry can't find people to work. So supposedly, you can just apply. You can just show up and be hired. Okay? okay. We've never, as 35-year-olds, because of like what we've lived through, we've never had a job market where like you can just apply for a job and get a job. I know. So I wonder, uh, I wonder as like a generation, if we're like people are going to be so confused. Like, like send in a resume and then people contact them. Like, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> what? Is this how it works? You just send in a resume? A scam. You just send in a resume and then you just get a call and you get interviewed? Like, yeah. no. Yeah, but no, we've, it can't but be we've, that easy. Uh, we've both had our fair share and we've and our friends as well of, of pl- applying to hundreds. hundreds of things. And And when we entered the job market, you know, 2008, mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a disaster, and 
the the looking back, and I remember this clearly. The things I was pining for. Yeah, what were you professionally? Pining for? What were you pining for? I was pining for <laughs> an administrative assistant job anywhere, doing anything. Okay. I would work. I would work for like the the New York City Housing Authority filing mm-hmm. paperwork if they would hire me, which they wouldn't. <laughs> Aside. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I wanted to, what I wanted to ask you, though, is like, so out, out of all the jobs you've applied for, what do you think your toughest rejection was? Can you think of something that was like I'll particularly to, bad? I'll, I'll have to think about it. I know that I went on a couple of multi-stage interviews. Yes. That I was disappointed not to get. But uh, I have been ghosted after three to four rounds me too ghosted ghosted like not even like sorry thanks for your thanks for your application goodbye no not even a note um that happened to me when i applied to produce the fest fest and i went to three and inter- three in person did you go interviews. to like a site visit or something yes three in person interviews so i got on a train and went places three times didn't hear from them after that. You didn't hear from them. You no. never got a rejection from them. No. So that is fuck so them. Fuck rude. you. New York. That's like so. <laughs> it's so rude. That's so rude. I went on. Okay, so I've I've had multiple multiple things where I th- thought I knocked it out of the park and yeah. then and then never heard from them again. And a uh, uh, one time I had to take a um, this was for like a development job. Art Center. I'm not yep. afraid to name names. Um, and uh, then I uh, I went to go take a tap. They had me take an exam on my mm-hmm. third interview. Yep. The exam was basically alphabetizing people's last names to put them in a database. So they're like, we find like it's really good to just test people on their skill level, their facility with the database, um, and you know how quickly <laughs> they can pick things up. So it was a two hour exam yep. where I was basically putting things in alphabetical order and correcting addresses on a spreadsheet, that sort of thing, like putting them into the format yeah. that they wanted to. So basically they got two hours of free labor out of yeah. me. Um, and I never heard from them again. Maybe that's all they needed. Maybe they posted the whole <laughs> job thing because they were just like, we just, need to, we just need people to come in for a couple hours at a time and think that they're taking an exam. <laughs> I interviewed three times at uh, the American <laughs> Council. Yeah, we're ra- naming names. <gasps> That's amazing. Uh, and uh, for yeah, this was when I was looking for a part-time job, and it, it was a matter of filing things that came in like electronically. It's like mm-hmm, a database mm-hmm. and like managing their <laughs> council submissions for whatever the goddamn thing they submit. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I remember the. Three interviews didn't hear back from them. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it was because they were asking me questions. It was like, maybe I, my face gave gave it away where it was like, are you really asking me if I can, like, FedEx something? Like, is that? <laughs> sure, I can figure it that, out, Because they were like, you know, like, we have, like, a lot of things that need to, like, move, you know, like, a lot mm-hmm. of mailing. Yeah, but, but I, don't think, like, yeah, I but. don't think it's really, I don't think it's fair to not to ghost someone based on their face. If I, you have <laughs> me commute down, we have an hour long interview twice, mm-hmm. and then I have a uh, uh, Zoom for, this was years ago, but Google Hangout for, you know, the people Inter- who work remotely across the country, and then I never hear from you again. Yeah. No, okay. I've, I've had it, so I keep, it, the, the, the more, and we're talking about this, okay, it has happened to me the 
museum had uh-huh. two in-person interviews and the second time it turned out we had like a mutual friend so we like talked about the person we're like oh my god oh, yep. isn't she so funny <laughs> you know whatever and so it was like so friendly so i was like well of course of course this person's gonna get back to me because yep. we have a mutual friend yep ghosted um also <laughs> <laughs> i um at national Yep. I got to the final to go like quote unquote final round. It was like me and the, and one other person. Yep. I met the president of their board. Yep. And then never heard from them again. Never yep. heard from them again. Guess what? All of these places have in common. What? They now send me bi monthly solicitation emails to ask whether I wanted to donate to their organization. Yeah. So they so they ghosted me, but they remembered me enough to put my na- my email on their mailing list. Right. Okay, yep. I've also <laughs> never, I've also been recommended for jobs and gone on interview. And I, I, I can say I have gotten jobs from people that I've known or worked with before. But by and large, all the big jobs I've gotten have been cold interviews. Yeah, yeah. That you just like applied to off the internet and then, and then got them? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, which is uh, means that I've applied to many, many, many 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 things yeah I, I try to I try to explain to people the scale of this because when I tell you that I've been rejected from like over 500 jobs in my life it is not a joke I mean it's probably that's probably a moderate <laughs> a moderate like estimation yeah I think that's like it's a very like millennial viewpoint to have but I'm wondering what our experience is going to be like I know because uh, the addendum, so I'll say what the easiest time I had finding a job when I was looking for a part-time job, I got offered multiple offers mm-hmm. off that resume that had nothing on it. And when I would go, <laughs> and, and this kind of goes back to my point, it's like I put less effort. I would go to the interviews and say exactly what I wanted. I am here for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to like clock in, clock out. Yeah. And that's worked well. And people are like, oh yeah, of course. Great. Do you want this job? Meanwhile, you go in somewhere else and be like, oh, so I've done this research. I have these questions. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I really like mm-hmm. about what you do. And they're like, no, thank you. Yeah. You know, that's such a bad, <laughs> that's such a bad, like, feedback for us to, like, internalize that, like, actually do nothing and care nothing, care about nothing. And uh, all the things will you be know given what? to you. I reject, I reject all this stuff you read online about from my own experience and for friends <laughs> around me. I do. Seriously. Okay. Tell me. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that first of all i think it's rude for there to be applications that require essay questions mm-hmm. and other things it's like you bitch you're not paying me mm-hmm. and like that's this is free labor this is i the whole reason the whole advent of the resume and the cover letter is for me to show you who i am and then you decide if you want to meet me i'm not going to fill out these things now they have you pre-record these like interview questions that you answer oh god it's like this is this is lunacy. It's lunacy. I don't think you should spend a long time investigating someone's company. Um, I think it's like I've been on interviews and I do and I have researched a lot of things. And when people want you to tell them about how great they are, like yeah, you're never you actually going to get right. the job. My advice right. if you're looking for a job is not is. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I can tell there's about to be some shit. Okay. What? Write your, tailor your resume and have a three to five sentence cover letter. <laughs> yes. That that does not reinvent the wheel. That yes. says at the back, like, um, I, I'm perfect for this position. Mm-hmm. You would be happy to have me because I'm perfect. Talk soon. And then if you really want the position, 
wait at least a day and a half to two days to respond to their invite for the interview. Oh my god, that's like you're like you're like that book, like the rules <laughs> where it's like and wait honestly, three days. honestly, the thing that I think you and I need to be better at mm-hmm. in this sort of topic mm-hmm. and more broadly than just interviews is like we make things really easy on people. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, okay. And I've seen it function inside inside organizations where there are people who are applying, they kind of like advocate for themselves and like what's going to work for them. Yeah. They're never dinged for that and often there's some level I think in like subconsciously where people see that as like a power A power move. Move. Yeah, so so you're saying like if I get an interview and then and they're like, oh, actually, can you do 1030? And I just say, no. I say, one, never say, oh, I can do any time. Mm-hmm. Always give a window. a window. I can do 1030 to noon, mm-hmm. or I can do 4 to 445. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, let's look at Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then if they push, if they, if they ask, come back for something, like really consider if it works or not. Yeah. yeah. I hate to play games, but I'm just saying. I hate to play games, but... <laughs> this is some I'm honest a, I'm advice. I'm a good player. This is some honest advice. Yeah. I've been thinking... I've been thinking the last couple of days about something that I just wanted to tell you that I really appreciate about white culture. Okay. Go for it. I mean, I feel like I don't know how to take a compliment from white culture. I don't know where to. You're going to be able to. I don't know where to, what comment box to drop it in. You're going to be able to take this one. I'll tell you why. Something I appreciate about white culture is leaving butter outside of the fridge. Well, that is. That's white culture. Fully. That's white culture. That is necessary. <laughs> See, this is how white this is how white culture takes a compliment. <laughs> oh, the thing that you're giving me a compliment about—that's just that's just necessary. That's just a fact. That's just like common sense. Yeah, oh. and I'll say to that, my mother keeps two sticks out because <laughs> because you wouldn't want to be caught out. You wouldn't be want to be caught out in the rain. <laughs> exactly. She keeps two sticks out. Are you out. serious? Are yes, you serious? Because what happens serious? if you run out of a stick? Then you have to get a cold stick. Yes. And you wouldn't want to have to get a cold stick. So better to have two sticks. O M G. Okay, this is white culture and I I love it. Like, so I will remind you if you've forgotten that on one occasion of having a shared vacation home. Yep. <laughs> at one such vacation home. There was a situation where butter kept getting left out and then butter kept getting put back in the fridge. So certain people were leaving the butter out and then certain Me. people were putting... No, 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 no. It wasn't just you. It wasn't just you. And certain people were putting the butter back in the fridge. It was a large group scenario yeah. in this vacation home. And I just remember this so vividly because it was like it came to a head at a certain <laughs> point where like it was like, who keeps putting the fucking butter back in the fridge? And, and like, it was like... Half the who, people were like, <laughs> and half the people were like, who keeps leaving the fucking butter out like a monster? And then we had this like incredible realization that it was like all the people of color 
that yeah. were there kept trying to put the butter back in the fridge because they were like who leaves butter out <laughs> and all these white people are like a dairy product and then all the, the white people were like who le- who just wants to spread cold what butter on monster their toast? wants to sit there and right. and and fight with their toast fight with their toast well let me tell you about brown people oh. that's the thing indian people mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. uh your family mm-hmm. um, <laughs> tell me <laughs> Tell me about it. Your mother and father and uh, and to a certain extent the way your sister like runs her household, mm-hmm. um, which has to do with how she was raised. Mm-hmm. Like it is really <laughs> nice and um, familial to eat with them because uh, in my house mm-hmm. you sit down and you, you have a meal and typically the the woman has slaved over the meal and yeah. men have uh, reluctantly reluctantly make their way to the dinner table mm-hmm. for some reason as if they don't want to eat right. everyone and that includes the grandchildren and the children and, and their the, husband and their husband so, yeah. to like come and eat it's ready it's ready it's come hot. and eat it's and everyone's it's cold. hot mm-hmm. um and you know cornbread is a very uh, temperature sensitive temperature thing yeah. and that's mm-hmm. just, and that is what we had at every meal mm-hmm both sides of the family Mm -hmm. Uh, and like when the cake of cornbread is done that's when dinner is ready and you need to Mm -hmm. come to the table but she not only had to cook it but then had to come and like corral everyone right your family it's like the food is ready and there are some food items that are made pretty fresh Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. are enjoyed fresh yes Uh, it's a rolling basis it's so it is a very (laughs) rolling basis whereby if you were to come in there, it's like, are we eating dinner? Or is like that person eating a snack right now? And then this other person just like sitting yeah. outside and like someone mm-hmm. else is, is reading a book and like what is happening? And so you, you understand now how like the chaos informs my worldview. Like, yeah. Chaos is a tool for me. Mm-hmm. But it's real. But at the same time, everyone is made sure that they're everyone else is eaten so it's like no one is forgotten no never but and there's always the eating food. is not happening simultaneously no almost never indian food is is tough that way and it, it, there is a sexism component to it because you said something about women sleeping yeah it just so happens that in my home um my dad is like the primary cook not always but um, but in, there's a certain component of Indian food that is that is structured in a sexist way, actually, because like whether you're North Indian, you're making chapatis or whatever, those have to be made like sort of individually fresh. and fresh and hot, and like the, meaning the woman has to keep doing it until everybody else is done, and then the person who's cooking, who's usually the matriarch of family or the mom or whatever, gets to eat last. But um, but there are also like it's like rolling. And um, this is something that, like, my friends in high school used to think was so funny. Like, oh, I have to drop off this thing. I'm going to do it at 4 yeah. o'clock. Or I'm going to do it at 10 p.m. And it's like, oh, shit. There's never not a time when I show up and it's, like, not. Oh, we're just having dinner. We're just sitting down to dinner. Um, for people who don't know about it, there is this free television service called Pluto TV that gives you access to all these classic sitcoms. So we've been trying to like dive into some, whatever's available whatever's, on the program. Whatever's yeah, there. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's not, it's not like a, it's not a, it's not a huge catalog. It's and not they a huge don't catalog. have like, they don't 
have every show, every season, every season of every show. They right, don't right, right. always have the first season of things. <laughs> but they do have a fair amount of 90s sitcoms that we all remember, but probably didn't watch. So what's your general impression on some watching some of these, like, these shows? Okay, well, we should say what we watch, maybe. Okay. Um, we can go through them. We can go through them. We can get yeah. impressions on everyone. Uh, but the ones we watched this past week that I have written are uh, Grace Under Fire, mm-hmm. Sybil, mm-hmm. Spin City. Oh, I forgot about Spin City. Third Rock from the Sun. Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. Married with Children. Oh, Married with Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. We did a whole bunch, <laughs> didn't we? And The PJs. Mm-hmm. It aired I, in 1999, so it's right on the cusp. Mm-hmm. And then I previously watched the pilot of 90210. Right. So, uh, what did I notice about the sitcoms? Particular, um, everything we watch for sitcoms, other mm-hmm. than the 90210. Mm-hmm. The thing I noticed about the sitcoms were that, except for one, and we'll get to it, um, they were not that funny, <laughs> nor. Did many of them have what uh, a plot? A plot, a plot. Yeah, that in a word, there was no plot. So, <laughs> you know, the conventional wisdom now is, is like you know, when you think about writing something, you think about writing a story with characters. But these series, all of which ran for multiple seasons, seem to start with a pilot. multiple seasons, like. Enough to get syndicated, yeah. so at least a hundred or more episodes. It seemed to start with a pilot that does nothing but just introduce you to the character. So that was the first thing I noticed. The second thing I noticed uh, was the uh, popularity of gay jokes in the nineties. Every <laughs> I was going to say that every single one of these pilots. In fact, Spin City's a plot revolves around uh, making a straight man pretend he's gay. Oh yes, like oh my god, yeah, it was so bad. And then there's like there's a lot of like limp wrist jokes right. and like, and and also this like sort of weird fantasy that like we live in a world in which like gay people were so like rare that they right, would be looking right. around an office full of people and be like anybody here gay anyone. So okay, oh my god, that that was the main thing that I was just like kind of shocked by because it's not that long ago and like how just sort of like lazy the punchlines are too so just like the one, punchline is just like pointing at something and being like that's gay and that, then the yeah. laugh track cues and you're like where was the joke yeah in in sybil her one of her daughters on the show says uh you know if you don't let me date this older boy like i'm gonna be a lesbian and then that becomes like a runner through the show and that was a joke though that was supposed to be a joke yeah like it was like well, if you don't let me do that, I'm going to be a lesbian. And then it was like, ha, 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 ha. Commercial break. And then it comes back and a couple more times. Like, like so, it's, so it's either that. And then the other thing is just like this persistent joke about how like women are like crazy and irrational and emotional and like, and just written in the most outlandish ways. Like, yes. I never really thought that it would be like so obvious what the demographic was of the writers' room because like sometimes you would you would feel like watching a modern show you might not know. Right. It is so clear that there were no women in any of these writers' rooms. Oh, <laughs> the women are written. I've never written as a person who went through like an, a, a person who's not 
on something who goes through such emotional <laughs> swings in a matter of like a minute and a half. It's as though they're writing for aliens when right. it's like when it's like a female character. It's like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about them being like rational or having like any like like independently formed needs and desires. They can no. just be like total loose cannon weirdos because that's, you know, that's And throughout weird. all of these shows and make whenever, terrible demands on their men. Whenever there was uh, it seemed like a space where they needed a joke and they had they didn't need to advance the plot which they barely had or didn't have it always was a like a a lady joke right or or like or things that were just like casually um like you wouldn't even know that it was a joke unless it was like the the, the laugh, laugh track. track it was like it was something about how like what, um this was in Grace under fire her husband her like ex-husband they allude to him being like abusive and then they keep making jokes about it. Yeah. It was like, he had a mean right hook. Ha 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 What? Yeah, I feel like every episode had a had a, a gay joke, at least one. Most of them had more than one. Had uh, some sort of something about what time of the month a woman was on, <laughs> or you know women, or you got, you know. Yeah. Of course, we watch Married with Children, which the whole basis of the show is is, is for Al Bundy to be oh god, a misogynist. That was, that was atrocious. That pilot was atrociously bad. I mean, well, what confuses me is that you know, in because of course we're looking up all of these shows as we're watching to see how long they ran, and mm-hmm. you know, we remember all of them, but just sort of refreshing our memories and. Married with Children is one where the writers, you know, want to talk a lot about, you know, how they're put, you know, examining these sort of uh, these sort of social dynamics uh-huh, in America uh-huh. and gender dynamics. And, and then they're oh, they're supposed and, to be poor, like they're like. Yeah, and I don't think that it's examining something just to put it on television because <laughs> none of it was clever. Mm-hmm. None of it was insightful. None of it, uh, there was no wink and nod. It was actually just gross mm-hmm. and unfunny. Yeah, so, so, so I met um, a woman who was taught, like, we we're just chatting about TV, and I was like, this came up in conversation about these pilots. And she was like, oh, well, you know, I think, um, um, you know, I think that, that that was like, I mean, it was obviously regressive and bad and whatever, but it was like sort of necessary to like move the needle or whatever. And I just like, I'm, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I guess I don't really have a counter argument to it. But it was like the reason that there were so many like cheap gay jokes in 90s sitcoms is because that was like a time where people were like starting to come out a lot more visibly and like it was just like more part of the like popular imagination so it felt like more edgy to make reference to to it and uh and I don't know I mean maybe there's some truth to that that it's like it's just coming into the like public conversation but I think it was just that like that it was just a, a cheap and easy joke for a writer's room full of straight white guys to yes. to do yeah, yeah. personally but so Something else that I noticed about several of these was, um, well, particularly Grace Under Fire and Civil, which are both made by Chuck Lorre, who made many, uh, who has made many shows, um, even today, things yeah. like on yeah, yeah, yeah. CBS and whatnot. Well, Sybil and Grace Under Fire are the exact same show, <laughs> the exact same show. Mm-hmm. They're a single woman with kids. Who on the on the pilot episode goes on a date for the first goes time on a date for or the first time? Because the, the date for the first time is a very convenient pilot 
uh, solution because mm -hmm. then you can just you have your main character tell a person they've just met everything about themselves <laughs> so then the audience so learns tell me about yourself. Like, I have two kids and I'm a working actress <laughs> and I'm old and I fear that I'm gonna die alone it's like oh this is what this show is oh, about okay. Okay. all right all right mm -hmm. we've set that up yeah <laughs> it's just really funny because it's like um we you know we have been we're in our own work like trying so hard to like construct plot and working so hard to make plot a thing and then we're watching all these sitcoms where it's like you go through the whole half hour and then you're like, what actually happened? If I had to a describe it, line. this is how I would describe a 90s comedy. Open up to the house that you're going to see for the next 100 episodes. Woman comes in from stage left, moving fast to do something. Picking up something or putting down something. Then, inexplicably, because this never happens in real life, somebody pokes their head not through the door but through a window because <laughs> oh, yeah. apparently uh -huh. no one in sitcom land has bushes or anything so there's always a friend who sticks their head through a window and then there's some of a conversation and then it's a and then and then they've set up whatever the episode is going to be which is usually not nothing more than like i'm here was there some like was there something different about the way that we like watch like told stories or something like that or wanted to like see stories or well, we had a I wonder if or maybe there was just a lower standard for content because all you had what was it was what was on your three networks well ABC, they were still ABC, testing CBS. a lot of things so it wasn't like these are the only pilots getting getting paid these are the only ones that were people were watching yeah uh. so um I we didn't have a lot of we didn't have social media at all we didn't have the internet for half of the 90s or at least a lot of people didn't and I think the pilots are so boring and when we look at it for plot and, and how we might look at it today but like I was telling you while we were watching it I think first of all it's nice to see something on television that looks pretty so like the sets are like so 90s like the houses are so interesting even if it's supposed to be even if it's married with children and the set is supposed to be like a, a, a working class shabby house you know it's still interesting to look at and then you can you're like oh i'm not the only shabby house in the world right so well like and these are all of course these are multi-cam shows yeah. um which means that they have like sort of a fixed set they're like right. shot from multiple angles at the same time. It's not like this more like realistic thing where we're moving through real spaces. It's like it's like clearly it's a it's a it's a dollhouse set, yes. you know, yeah, where there's yeah. just like So I wonder if it's just it was a matter of people just enjoying seeing like what they could identify with what they were watching on some level. And all all that that's all it was. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, in all this, I know as an aside, obviously I know that like a pilot is not uh, ironically, yeah. Show. Ironically, even though the pilot is supposed to be the thing that is like the, you know, cardinal example of what that show is about, it, it rarely ever is actually serves that that function. It's right. like you you know you want to get the best episode of something, you're never going to watch the pilot. You like, you know, sometime in season three, you probably you know. Yeah, once all the everyone understands their characters and the writers together, understand how to the play off are, of everybody and yeah, they the set it all like up. Now, like writing for the actors instead of just like for abstract you know I think most of us watching TV as we did before we could do it on demand came to like the shows that we watched on reruns 
never watching the first episode first. I mean, mm-hmm, I didn't mm-hmm. watch the Golden Girls pilot. Right. I didn't sit down. To, you know, I, I started in season five, episode 13, right. you know, and then. Well, even if it was something that was like currently on the air, you started watching it because like you either like heard it was good or like someone yeah. told you to watch it or something. But it was never like, especially oh, sitcoms. Gonna, like, sit down and tune into this brand new show. Yeah. For sitcoms, <laughs> you like jump in and, it, and it, it's like uh, it makes me wonder. It makes me think like the what we think we need to establish in a pilot mm-hmm. uh, do we even need a pilot at all do you even need a pilot at all because if you watch a good sitcom a good half hour sitcom seasons in to your point are you not like drawing? you're not confused right 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 you know i think we when we're telling stories we probably don't have enough faith in the in the people who are watching i 100% agree and I relate to this in in the draft in the draft of the pilot that we're writing right now, which is a sitcom. It's a serial sitcom, so it's a little bit different. But um, but it, it like I'm totally having that thing where I really just want to explain to people, like as though they're not going to be able to figure it out. Like I want to explain exactly. You know, so I'm doing I'm making that mistake, that pilot mistake. But what you're saying is like the characterization is like just let just let people have it. And just yeah, yeah. Those are my observations about pilots from the '90s. Um, I will say that I really enjoyed. I know you didn't watch 90210. I really, I really enjoyed 90210, and uh, which also breaks a lot of the rules. It was not a hit. That show was not a hit on its first it was season, not. and um, and it used a marketing trick to like air over the summer where no which other is shows actually, were This airing. is really fascinating. Yeah, so that's how they made it like a cultural phenomenon was that nobody watched it its first season yeah. then they aired it during like summer hiatus so there, were no, there was nothing else to watch and then everybody got hooked and then they came back for their like full second season and by that point it was like the biggest show on television so the pilot really wasn't like why I'm, I'm sure not widely watched at the time um, although it did run until the year like 2003 or something shocking right yeah, for a very long, it ran for ten years. No, it ran. I think oh, 90, 2000, so 2000, 90 1990 to 2000. 2000. Yeah, we, so we were in high school when that show went off the air, which is blows my mind. Yeah, blows my mind. I mean, they they true were, '90s show every year of the '90s yeah. was on the air. Yeah, so, so. Well, did you ever go for like teen dramas though? No. So you never watched Dawson's Creek? No. You never watched, okay. No, the only thing, the only dramas I watched was with my mom. We watched Charmed together. Charmed, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so that was really, that was really your, your drama as a kid. I mean, it was just a Monster of the Week thing that my mom and I liked to watch. Mm-hmm. I think that's cute. I think that's a cute one. We're doing a Sunday night show, um, mm-hmm. playing some music for two hours, and just yeah, Sundays from from six to eight, we're DJing uh, two hours worth of music. It's it's great. I don't, you know, it's uh, it's fun to put together a playlist. It's fun to sit down and and do it live. Like mixtapes are kind of a lost art, um, but. Uh, having the play making the playlist and then also like having some like having something to say about about the songs is really really the songs about the artists you know it's um another brick in our multimedia empire yeah Yeah. (laughs) you can listen to it every sunday from six to eight eastern Mm -hmm. on em that's e as in sheila e (laughs) 
M is an Eminem dash radio. Em dash radio dot com. E isn't Sheila E. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. So yeah, I'm excited about it. We write, curate, and produce as VJ and Stevens, and you can subscribe to Don't Think Twice anywhere you listen to podcasts. Normally, we'd be working on a whole slate of live events in New York City and across North America, but pandemic. We're currently writing and living nomadically, pitching our scripted works for television. You can learn more about us at vjandstevens.com. That's V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H. We're at VJ and Stevens on Instagram, and our assistant Susan is still learning how to tweet at Memos from Susan. <laughs>